0: All right, I should stop fiddling with this. Um, I thought it was going to be easy, but it's not. So I had a question for uh, Jan. If if uh, if I can yeah.
1: start off that way, sure. On, when, good morning, or good afternoon. I'm sorry. It's good morning. It's morning here. Good day. Um, when you're go, when you're going into the uh, jhanas, do you feel uh, chi or prana uh, circulating when when uh, that's happening?
2: Hi, can you uh, hear me? Yep. Yeah, I might have um, a little bit of an unstable internet connection. So if I fall away, you have to just mention it. And then uh, I'll do something about it. Um, yeah, with the Janas. Um, well, Kuladasa is talking about um, the full body Janas and the pleasure Janas. Um, so I was wondering which one you meant then
1: either either or i would um i just uh, thinking from my you know i i haven't gone i've just entered like the periphery of of what i th- you know think is a genre but and i 'm not sure which one it is is a pleasure full body so i 'm not at the the stage to differentiate but it uh, seems I have a strong association with uh, qi and PT, so I was just wondering if that, uh, if that holds true in either either or, I guess is the question.
2: Um, well, because qi is um, more associated with the breath, right? So each time you breathe in, you feel like these sensations, and when you breathe out as well, I think that's more associated with qi, if I'm correct. And um pithy is more like uh, you, you can see it as like energy currents or even other things happening in your body um, but um when I'm doing like uh the full body janas, I'm mostly focusing on the on the chi more, so then I'm really like focusing on the breath and then experiencing it in the whole body just breathing in and out. And then, um, after a while, I feel like, uh, on each in and out breath, I feel like these, uh, also like energy sensations through my body. When I breathe in, I feel them when I breathe out, I feel them. And I really try to focus, um, on those feelings. Um, and then usually after a while, um, you kind of drop into it. So, um you have these sensations and then like your full attention uh, becomes these um uh, these sensations so it's really like you're falling into it um i think with the with the pleasure jhanas it's a bit different uh, how i experienced it um it seems like um with the with the um uh full body jhanas it's more that you're like actively um, more actively focusing on the the breath sensations. Um, With the pleasure genus, it's more like you're looking for uh, a nice sensation somewhere and then you're trying to um, uh, get your attention on that. Um, But that might be a bit harder because what I experienced in the beginning was there was a pleasurable sensation. When you, like really try to focus on it, it goes away. So it's a bit like, yeah, it was a bit harder. Um, but uh, when you do find a pleasure sensation, you can try to focus in a, on it and then like, um, see see if it stays, see if it goes away. If it goes away, you'll just go back to the breath and then um, start looking for um, pleasurable sensation as well. Um, but when you do have a pleasure sensation and you are focused on it, then uh, what usually happens is um, you also fall into like the pleasure sensation. And then what, I, what happened to me is then I fall into it uh, in the pleasure sensation and then um, like my whole body becomes a pleasure sensation.
1: That's helpful. Thank you very much. I appreciate it very much.
2: No problem.
0: Who's next. Oh, everybody's so calm.
3: I'll go. Okay. If no one else wants to, I've actually got something really cool to share. So, um, not too much question wise this week. Um, I think I just need to do more practice. (laughs) Like I'm well set up for like cleared up confusions. And at this point, I think I just need to sit a whole lot and just do it. So yes, what happened uh, a couple of days ago was I had a really, really cool moment where um right at the beginning of a sit, after like maybe not even five minutes, um, there was this thought coming up, and the thought was, uh, let's pay attention to the breath uh, as as I like that's a thought like the narrating mind was like, let's do some meditation and that's um that's like really something that happens a lot for me. Um, And at first it was like, yeah, I just, I just said that in my mind, I was just thinking that. Um, And it was kind of agreeing with myself like, yeah, that's good. Let's do that. I'm on board. And then I don't know, it it shifted. And I saw really clearly that I didn't produce that thought. And um, that it just came out of nowhere. Like it, Bubbled up from, like, I don't know, the abyss or something <laughs> and came up. Um, and at first I didn't even realize that something significant had happened. And it just shifted in a, like, really small way. But then I kind of uh, realized that I was really, really seeing the thought as not mine and not me and not myself in a in just like a uh not in a conceptual way but it just i i saw that it was the case like uh intuitively is maybe the word and then i had to like kind of pause for two three minutes and like really think about what happened and like re like analyze it to make sure i wasn't tricking myself or something um and then i just like went on with my day kind of um, yeah, I thought that was kind of significant and I really enjoyed it. And um, especially because it's, it was a the, the kind of thought where, um, I mean, I've had like kind of these mini, uh, yeah, but I don't want to say realizations, but these moments where you kind of have some space between the self and the thoughts. I've been having those like, a couple, like several times, but this was really clear. And it was also something I was normally really identified with, like the narrating mind, the like setting intentions and stuff. So, yeah, that's my, that's my contribution for this week.
0: Nice. Um, that, that, uh, space that you're describing between the self and, or the, between, I can't remember exactly the words that you use, but, um, That can be a really useful uh, part of your mindfulness practice. Um, So, learning how to sort of sink into or zoom out into or whatever that place where there's that little bit of extra space can be really beneficial. Um, So, uh, I would encourage you to think of this not just as like, you know, something that happened along the path or, you know, a neat or something like that but also just use like all of those things that you experience there as part of your practice like like you've seen some things that you can now actually fold into your practice and you can use like when you're just going about your daily business too um so i mean you're, you're probably gonna use them anyway like you probably didn't need me to tell you that but but uh i just mentioned
3: yeah. i'm just wondering are you do you have anything very specific in mind or is that just a general thing of well,
0: so um, what you 'll find is that if you 're in that place where there's that extra space, then a lot of stuff that normally might um, bother you or, or carry you into some kind of unpleasant story won't so like you know, somebody might stand on your foot in the subway and before you might have thought, "Well how rude and, and gone off on this little spiral, but if you can go into that place where you 've got that little bit of distance, then the feedback loop doesn't happen, and so the story doesn 't perpetuate and uh, and so you just wind up like having a much more pleasant day because you're not spending all day thinking about all of the stupid things that people have done to you or the things that you want or stuff like that. You can just like sort of go zoop and yeah, see what happens with that.
3: All right. Good. And and by the
0: way, I mean, you, you know, you don't necessarily have to do anything for this to happen. It may well just happen yeah. automatically.
3: Yeah. The way I, the way I experience it is, um, there's like a small gap between most of my like internal states mm-hmm. most of the time like a sheet like the size of a sheet of paper gap where it's like just barely more than before yep and then sometimes it kind of opens up why like more yep. but um yeah
0: yeah good thing to explore And, you know, also part of like the, the uh, recognition that that voice isn't me um, tells you that like the thing that is going to explore this isn't me either, right? Yeah. So then part of the reason for talking about it is because there's this um, interdependence that allows uh, when we talk about it like this. Um, it just creates more context for, for whatever it is, that's doing that to do it and to recognize it. And so it's, it's, it's all part of the process. Yeah. That was probably, I don't know if that was helpful. Um, so, uh, thank you for sharing that and and well done. Um, somebody want to go next?
4: Yeah, I don't necessarily want to go next. But uh, I, if I could comment on, on what you just said, um, I, would, I, I don't want to advise. I would like just to say what I would do if I were you. I would try to, as, as long as it is fresh, that is a fresh feeling or memory that you have, I would try to tap into that, uh, that way of seeing things as much as I can throughout the day in order to try to, to trigger that uh, glimpse or, or baby insight or, or insight, or whatever you want to call it, just so that it really sinks in. Because so many times I've had these experiences and I thought, that's it, I get it. But then I just, you know, I just stopped meditating for five days because I thought, oh, this is just so awesome. And then I just lost it and it took me a while to read i thought i actually need to repeat the insight to tap into it many 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 times to try to verify it in order for it to sink so that's what i would do if i if i were you hope it's useful
3: yeah i guess i don't really see it it doesn't feel like something i can consciously control at all and i don't i so far i haven't even noticed what the causes of this happening are it just seems to come up completely randomly it wasn't like i was having this really good session where i was actually i had a really really good session a couple of days ago but that was not the same day it was it didn't like i wasn't very concentrated and the session after that wasn't special so i i don't really know if i can do anything to repeat that right right now at least
0: yeah you you can form an intention and it might work, but um, you shouldn't obviously be attached to it working. Um, but, uh, you know, what caused it is your meditation practice, right? It's like, it's like a kind of a, it, like if you think of your meditation practice as sort of like this thing that's kind of vibrating a lot. And then as you work that, as you work towards it, like, you know, you might have a couple of sort of standing waves in your meditation practice that are kind of moving independently. And then at some point, the standing waves kind of go whoop at the same time.
5: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So you, you can't really, you can't really predict when that's going to happen, but but you could try intending for it to happen and see if it does. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. It's not terribly important either way. Like if you can do it, do it. But it sounds like, you know, the paper thin thing you're talking about and the more space thing you're talking about are also related to this. And so if you can access those, that's uh, just as valuable. Um, and like, you know, if you find yourself in that place where you've got a lot of space and you have the time to do it, just sitting there and enjoying that state is, is, is very worth doing.
4: And independently also of, um, of being able to tap into these things on, on demand, almost on demand, or to be able to recreate the conditions to get these states, uh, they're still states anyway. And they're still conditioned. And the, the really interesting thing, once you can tap into these states, like almost every seats, because it's just like it's baseline, then it's not interesting anymore. And then what becomes really interesting is to try to understand how they arise and how they pass away. Because sometimes you don't feel them. And sometimes you feel them. But when you feel them most of the time, it becomes really interesting to see why did they disappear, these things? Why can't I see it anymore in the same way? I think this is where, for me, the biggest insights lie in my practice, is to understand the changes between these states.
0: I would advise you not to get too wrapped around that idea though. (laughs) Cause it's different for everybody. Like what you're describing, um, is, is, uh, um, an experience that a lot of people have, but not everybody has it. So like, you know, inside experiences for some people are, uh, very sharp and, uh, repeatable. Like, like, uh, Nick Grabovac is like this, like he can, he can just go, you know, he can go into things the same way. Um, but, uh, other pe- for other people, it's, it's, it's less surface. It can happen very much in the unconscious mind. And so the experience that you have of it is just that something arises out of the unconscious mind spontaneously, as far as you're concerned. And, um, and it's just as effective at, at, at getting you to, to the trait, right? The trait of, of, of uh, not being not being, not having the sticky self that, that's, that's causing you to suffer. Right. Um, but it, because it's happening in the unconscious mind and not in the conscious mind, it's difficult to, it's difficult to do the kind of analysis that you were just describing. So, um, uh, it, and, and the, the reason I'm saying that is because um, sometimes people can get stuck on the idea that they should be able to replicate it, um, consciously, and wind up making that the focus of their practice. Um, and, you know, if, if you find that you can do that, it's great. But, um, but it isn't the same for everybody. And so, so you have to work with whatever is working, whatever is happening in your practice, not necessarily uh, try to replicate the experience that someone else is having. And I have mentioned this because I'm actually one of those people for whom a lot of this stuff happens in the unconscious mind. And I just, the fruitions that I experience just kind of blossom up out of nowhere. And I have no idea how they're happening. Uh, I'd love to find out how they're happening. It's interesting to me, but it's not important because I'm still getting the result. I'm still getting the 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 wonderful experience of of having had this fruition happen and having had the the change in in my mental continuum that's really hugely reduced the amount of suffering that I experience in my life but um, it you know the I, I still like my meditation practice is not producing the same results that yours is. And, you know, I'd love it if it did, but, but I'm okay that it's not. So I'm,
4: I'm glad you, you said what you just said, because my intention was not to, to, to say what you just. Sure. Said. Of course. Basically yeah. my intention was just to share my experience, but I hope that no one is sticking to my own experience. Yeah. I hope that everyone is pursuing their own experience and just trying to apply the the rules of the game.
0: Okay. Who's next? We can have a really short session if nobody wants to talk. I'll go. Okay.
6: Um, It's been a kind of crazy week, so uh, a lot of stuff going on in life, which is making the meditation just be uh, kind of frustrating because uh, it feels like it's nothing's going anywhere. Um, So I'm kind of going between... I, I would say it's mind wandering, but, uh, just keep coming back to like, uh, like work stuff or family stuff. And then, um, and then when I finally kind of can not think about that, then I just go straight into dullness and fall asleep. So, <laughs> I, you know, once I get over one, then I go straight to the other one. And then it feels like, you know, especially hearing Martin over the past couple of weeks have these, uh, have this progress here and there, and I have nothing to show, uh, even though I know, you know. And as they say, like don't have expectations and don't expect. But uh, you know, after a while, it kind of feels like what what's going to change? Where is it going? Is anything happening here? So um, yeah, that's been my week and maybe my month. <laughs> in in a nutshell
0: sometime ask me about my fifteen years <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean it's it that that's that's challenging um and uh a, a couple things I'll say about that because i've I've been in exactly the situation that you're describing i mean exactly like like you know I had this situation I, well exactly like <clears throat> from a practice perspective, I had the situation that, um, you know, my, my mother, uh, has, has had, uh, she had a stroke when she was in her late fifties and was uh, paralyzed partially in, in her right side or her left side, I guess. Um, and then, uh, you know, that kind of sucked a lot and, uh, you know, we just kind of dealt with it as a family. Um, and then like, a few years, this was actually probably a year after I started meditating with Chula Dasa, my mom had an injury. She fell and broke her hip and the injury actually resulted in her being essentially completely disabled to the point where she can't get in and out of her bed on her own. Um, which is, uh, you know, compared to where she was after the stroke, uh, that's like a huge come down. and after where she was after the stroke wasn't great. And so this was creating this, this pattern of continuous emergencies in my life because she, she was living in a, in a house in the middle of nowhere, uh, about a half an hour away from where I live. And I would sometimes get a phone call two times a day that, oh, the person who was supposed to come and help her move from her bed to her toilet or whatever didn't show up, can you come over and do that? And so like my life was just like stress central and I couldn't meditate an hour a day. I could, certainly couldn't meditate two hours a day Um, I was lucky if I could manage an hour and, um, what I, at first I was very frustrated by this because I was in the same place you were, where I had all of this, like, you know, this, like I'd finally found you know, after, after like the 15 years that I was just mentioning, I finally found a practice that I thought might work. And, you know, like, this is, this was like a, a goal that I'd had for, for a long time. And suddenly it was like, it felt like it was within reach. And then suddenly it felt like it was snatched out of reach by this situation with my mom. And, um, so I had a lot of stress. I had a lot of panic attacks there was a lot of really unpleasant stuff going on in my life, but, um, I was able to continue doing the practice a little bit and, um, I can't say that I got huge results from it, um, during that time. But what I did was that, that I used the fact I used that frustration, um, the, the feeling of like, man, I just, I don't have time to do an hour sit today and that sucks. And so I'm going to do like my 15 minutes or I'm going to do my 20 minutes or my half hour. And, uh, let's take this frustration and see if I can use that in my meditation. Um, and so so I basically spent that period in my life, which lasted for uh a few months before we figured before we kind of got things under, you know, more manageable. Um I used that period as a way to work on uh what Chuladasa talks about as diligence. Um and I don't know uh, exactly where he, t- I think it's probably somewhere in in uh, one of the early interludes or maybe one of the early stages where he talks about diligence. And so I just started thinking about my sits in terms of diligence rather than in terms of what I was trying to do. Like, in other words, not, uh, not about like you know, am I in stage two or am I in stage three or am I in stage four or whatever? At that point, I wasn't in stage four ever, um, and hadn't yet been in stage four. Um, but, uh, just, am I being diligent right now? Um, and so think, just thinking about like what diligence is and thinking about like whether or not what I'm doing right now is diligence and being satisfied with it, if it is. And if, if, if I look at it and I see that it's not, then like, okay, well fine, it's not. And you know, now that I've noticed that it's not, what should I do right now? And, and not thinking about like, you know, five minutes ago or five minutes in the future, but just now, like what's happening now? What am I doing now? Is what I'm doing now diligence? This is a twist tie, by the way, (laughs) is what I'm doing now diligence or is it, um, or am I, am I just like, you know, sort of self, uh, what is it? Self comforting. There's a self self soothing. Right. And you know, if I'm self soothing, is that actually what I need to be doing right now in order to be more diligent or is it avoidance? And so basically just like having that little internal thing for like, you know, however long my sit is. And then the other thing that I did is that this was keeping me up at night a lot. And so, um, You know, if I woke up in the middle of the night with some clever plan for how I was going to devise some Rube Goldberg solution to my mom's mobility problem so that she could like, you know, like use a, at one point I actually bought a winch that I was going to attach to a a frame so that she could use a, a climbing belt that she'd be wearing, hook it to the winch, press the button, it would lift her up, and then she would rotate off of that onto whatever she needed to rotate on. So I had this like incredibly complicated thing. And so I would be like in the middle of the night or when I was sitting down to meditate thinking about this complicated thing and um, it would keep me awake. Uh, and so if I got up in the middle of the night, I would just get up and sit, you know, I would get up and sit for a half hour and then I would go back and I would um, try to go to sleep. And, and oftentimes I would be able to go to sleep after having sat for a half hour because my mind would be less, you know, racy, like, it would, like especially if I worked on the diligence thing you know, just, just like letting go of, of, you know, whatever comes up, like, don't be mad at myself if stuff comes up, but just like keep letting go of it as it comes up, keep letting go, keep letting go of what's happening right now. Don't focus on like results, just focus on what's happening right now. And, you know, I got through that period and afterwards um, I was in stage four really solidly. Um, so the point I'm making is that, is that the stuff that you do right now, even if it's not producing results right now can definitely produce powerful results later. Um, and so don't like, do your best to, to take refuge in that. Like, don't just, don't just sort of like go, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is good in the long run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like seriously, like, like think that like, like, like open that up and and think about it because, you know, when you're in a situation where, where life is just like, you know, throwing you a lot of rough ocean, and you can't really have a practice that feels stable. It's really important to remember that whatever you're doing in your practice, uh, once things, once the, the waves settle down a little bit, uh, will work and you will see results. And, you know, also, by the way, I mean, I got some amazing results from, from just doing this, what I'm talking about. You know, I I remember once, uh, having a panic attack and, um, I didn't realize I was having a panic attack. It really just felt like this intense energy and it was, it was around the fact that I was worried about my mother because she was alone in the house. Um, and I couldn't really go do something about that. So this panic attack came and, uh, and it was just like overwhelming. But my mindfulness was was enough after after all these months of doing what I'm describing that I was just like, whoa, what's this energy? You know, I, I I seem to be like getting a lot of energy out of thinking about the situation with my mom. Wow. And then the energy would fall away because I was not really engaging with it. And then as soon as the energy fell away, the sort of, whoa, that's interesting, stopped because the thing that was making it happen stopped. And so the the panic would come back and it just like... The panic came back like I think it came back about seven times, and then, and then uh, after the last time, it just was like, yeah, okay, you know, now I know now I know what a panic attack is like when it's just starting, and so as soon as it starts, I'm just like, oh, there it is, and it's gone. Um, so you know, like don't don't necessarily think that the things you're going to get out of your practice right now are going to be like you know that you're going to be levitating off of your cushion or something like that. That's not that's not what the the fruits of your practice will be at this point in your life, and and that's okay because the fruits of your practice will still come out later when you when things calm down a little bit.
6: It's uh, interesting you mentioned that because my dad broke his hip last Friday. So, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> exactly more than you know, I'm going through kind of similar yeah. to exactly what you're going through, and. Uh, He's also was very unhealthy before that. So, yeah, yeah, it's just a compounded thing. And, um, but I, 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 that is some insight to what you say about that to really, yeah, because I think I kind of am doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess supposedly, supposedly there's progress being made. That's what I've been told. But uh, I'll try to really uh, dig deep into that a little bit more. Um, yeah, that's all. I think that I mean, I'll see if there's anything else over this week that I thought was interesting to share, but
0: okay.
6: taking up some time now.
0: <laughs> sure. jean so, Michel, did you want to say something?
1: Yeah.
4: Um, just on the topic of, uh, of progress and, and reaching goals and, and seeing that you're not progressing after Sometimes something that can really help, at least uh, helped me to to see it from a different angle, is uh, when I read a long time ago, the book Waking Up from Sam Harris. Inside, he has a passage on which which he talks of the significance of cessation and gradual versus sudden uh, awakening. And uh, I'm not going to say much more than that. I found the passage online that I'm referring to and you can read it yourself later. Where he talks about uh, the fact that he had been goal oriented for many years and he had spent total like about 1 year in silent retreat without reaching cessation being super saturated in the deepest jhana with having no connection to the to the sense to the senses anymore just uh, Something that seems awareness without the senses, but still no cessation. And it took him to go a little bit further to finally understand that that what he was seeking, the goal, was not necessary the necessarily the, um, the way to think about it.
6: That'll be interesting. I'll take a look at that. Yeah, maybe there, now that I think about it, I mean, there still is some goal there. <laughs> I guess ultimately that's why we're, well, it feels like ultimately that's why we're meditating, but maybe not. I don't know.
0: Well, I mean, part of that, Mike, is that, um, it it goes back to what, uh, uh, what John Michelle and Martin were talking about, which is that, and, and what I was talking about, which is that, you know, the way this surfaces for you may be different than the way it surfaces for someone else. Um, and so, you know, you may actually like, it's, it's not uncommon. I've had people have stream entry, uh, like, like I, I led a finder's course cohort a couple of uh, years ago, I guess now. Um, and somebody had stream entry and and they didn't believe that they'd have had stream entry because they didn't have a cessation. And so it was like this weird discussion where it was like really obvious to me that, that something had totally shifted for them. And yet, and, you know, you could see it in their behavior. You could, the before and after were very clear. There was like no question that something had changed. And they were convinced that nothing had changed because they had been taught for for their whole Dharma career that, that, that the only way you can have stream entry is to have a cessation. And a cessation happens in exactly this way. And, you know, and of course, that's just one way that you can have, you know, stream entry. So, you know. And I mean, it was actually real, really refreshing. Chula Dasso was the first person that that, uh, that that mentioned that you know some people just have this experience that like you know at some point like they notice that things have shifted and it might be and they look back and they can say oh well like six months ago things were definitely different and I can't really say when in this six months between then and now things shifted but things have shifted and so it's like it can be very gradual uh, it can just totally surface up out of the unconscious without ever appearing in the conscious mind. So, so in other words, part of the goal oriented, part of the point of saying, don't be goal oriented is not, that you're not trying to have stream entry or something like that. It's, it's that you have no idea how it's actually going to surface for you. And so, you know, like, like trying and, and even after it's surfaced for some people, it's, it's, it's only when they have. It's only when you kind of walk them through, like, look what's changed, that they can tell you, oh yeah, okay, yeah, something really did change. And you know, then you start talking about like, you know, the fetters, and you can say, well, you know, oh yeah, like I can see how this fetter has dropped, but you know, no evidence of how it happened.
6: Can I ask you guys if you and I don't know if this was made clear in other texts or anything, but. Uh, is the kind of trouble and more issues that you're having to deal with in life, does that help push you further along the path? Is it kind of like fuel that gets you there, whereas another person who's trying to do the same thing and everything is in life is perfect and they don't have to be challenged with anything, also trying to achieve the same thing, is there... Is it like fuel? I don't know. Is there, it does not matter.
0: It's definitely a theme in Tibetan Buddhism. I don't know if it's as much of a theme in Theravada, but um, certainly like if you, if you think about the story of the Buddha and the mother whose child died, I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Um, Basically. uh, So, you know, the Buddha, the Buddha is like famous and you know, everybody thinks like the Buddha can solve all their problems, like a magic pony or something like that. And so, so this, this woman's child dies and she's just absolutely heartbroken, you know, like just a little baby. And she, she goes to the Buddha with the dead child and says, can you, can you heal? Can you, can you bring my dead child back to life? And um, the Buddha says, go out. Uh, The Buddha says, you know, here, here's what you have to do. Go out and bring me um, a bowl of rice. I'm I'm slightly making this up what's that? Mustard
1: seeds.
0: Mustard seeds. Sorry. A bowl of mustard seeds from, um, (laughs) Andrea keeps me honest, Uh, a bowl of mustard seeds from, uh, from a house where death has never, never occurred, never visited. And, uh, and then we'll see what we can do. And so she goes out and she, she goes around and she tries to find a house where, um, this is true. And, uh, in the process of this, and of course, you know, she's obviously suffering terribly during this time, but in the process of this, she has a really profound realization about the nature of, about the truth of suffering and has stream entry and eventually reaches, I think, you know, becomes an Arhat. So, um, so even I guess my point being, even in the Pali canon, this is a theme, but in, in, in Tibetan Buddhism in particular, they talk about the problem of the Deva realms uh, and Uh, so the idea with the Deva realms is like, you know, you take a rebirth in this, in this magical realm where, you know, anything that you want, you just think of it and it appears and, uh, people live for hundreds of thousands or millions of years and, uh, and there's no aging. So, uh, when death comes, it comes very suddenly, but it comes after a very, very long time. And they say the problem with landing, it's actually a really bad result to land in one of these Deva realms because, when you land in one of these Deva realms, you're just like totally happy and you have no motivation at all to practice. You have no renunciation. You're just like, everything seems fine until the very last bit where you suddenly start turning into this gross, wizened thing that's about to die and everybody starts avoiding you. And then you die. And, you know, in in the Tibetan tradition, you go straight to a hell realm because you burned up all your good karma. Now, whether you believe in hell realms and deva realms or not, obviously the metaphor holds, right? Um, you know, the happier you are, the less likely you are to pursue anything that would address your unhappiness because the less unhappiness you have. And this is even a problem with, with Buddhist practice in general. Like if you start practicing the practice of virtue really well, for example, um, your life will suddenly have a lot fewer problems in it. And Uh, and then suddenly your motivation to practice, and I've had this happen to me, your motivation to practice just kind of bottoms out. You're like, okay, you know, I'm doing fine. I guess I'll practice today, but you know, I have these other things to do and your practice gets, gets lower priority. Um, and then suffering comes back always because here we are in the realm of suffering. So it's never the case that this is a, I mean you know, it's never the case that, that this is going to just continue forever, right? At some point, the suffering is going to come back. And, and yes, it does motivate you to practice. So, so sure, when you're, when you're in a situation where you've got a lot of suffering going on, um, it is going to motivate you to practice. Of course, it's also creating all kinds of problems that are making it hard to practice. So, so you have to work with that. But, but yeah, it's definitely, you know, one of the things that I found is that the more, uh, the more pain I feel, the more compassion I can feel easily. Like, it's very easy to generate compassion when I'm feeling pain. Uh, like, even, and I'm, when I say that, I mean literally, like, going to the dentist's office. When I, when I go to the dentist's office, I always do compassion practice because it's so easy. Like, I just think about all the suffering people in the world, and I try to generate compassion for them, and it's just, like, automatic. And the, de- the dentist's like, why are you grinning? <laughs> so, um Yeah. So, so definitely, you know, if you, if you can, if you can uh, take advantage of this, of this wonderful opportunity, that's great.
6: Thanks. I think that kind of clarified a little better.
1: So I've I've found, um, I guess, especially recently that, that um, often when something like that happens, when it's over, actually I'm in a better place. Like I've made some of the most progress in my practice. And I've come to think of these things sort of as analogous to purifications, where there's—I mean—I think of a purification, um, you know, kind of in the internal process as sort of kind of letting something be and reducing your avert your aversion to it. And I've so—I mean—I just think that, at least for me. I've just come, you know, I mean, there's always, I mean, I've come to recognize things are always sort of going to go up and down. But I do find that if you just sort of step back and kind of let those things happen, then actually there's, you can kind of, I can take advantage of the, um, you know, the time, you know, the the kind of once the once things have settled back down, I'm actually in a better place than I was
0: mm-hmm. before. Skiing moguls makes you a better skier.
6: Thanks, man.
5: Ken, how are you doing? Hey. Um, I'm doing okay. Uh, I guess the last couple of times I've been on here, it's been a very difficult uh, time in my practice, a lot of mind wandering and stuff. Um, some of the best advice I got was actually somebody on Reddit said, just let go of expectations. Don't have any expectations. Just explore just you know whatever happens happens you know just let it all be and after doing that for a couple weeks things seem to have stabilized a lot in practice um getting a lot more focus a lot more clarity um and so yeah practice wise things are going really well um something seems to have really clicked for me in, in some way about the difference between me and my thoughts and feelings, I'm talking about this paper thing gap and this big gap and stuff. And there's actually kind of a cool Dharma talk something posted on Reddit, a guy called Rupert Spira, I think, or Spira. Oh, yeah. um, and he kind of gave a talk describing the difference and sort of talked about yourself or the I or whatever permanent thing you want to call it as being just awareness, which is always happy, you know, always, you know, undisturbed and your thoughts are just different thing. And so I actually had the experience the other day that I woke up in the middle of the night and there was, you know, something on my mind, something was bothering me. I kept, you know, spinning over this thing and then I just kind of had this thought like, you know, I'm just a container, and this thought is just there spinning around. But I can let it go and go back to being the container. And I closed my eyes and fell back asleep, and that was pretty cool. And I've had kind of a similar experience during a sit. Um, I've talked about some of these purifications and sort of tensing up into these silent screams and all these, you know, pre-emotional content coming up. And one of these things started happening, and all that. But, and there was a lot of unpleasantness associated with it a lot of body tension and stuff but whatever it was that was just this container of awareness just kind of smiled at it and it's just like no it's all good you know I'm, I'm not this thing this thing is just there it's just happening and you know I'm all good this can go on all day and I'm all good so that was kind of cool um, so you know Technically, and in that sense, things are improving. Um, And I had, on a little bit of a tangent, I had an interesting experience the other day about attention and awareness, and that's that um, I, I lift a lot in the room, and periodically I have the experience after pulling a really heavy deadlift of almost passing out. Uh, I've been lucky that I haven't actually passed out, but you know, sort of everything starts to go black, and you know, you're just sort of there's only a bare thought at the edge of your consciousness, you know, stay upright, stay holding on to something. And uh, I realized that from a Chuladasa kind of perspective, what was happening is that I had no attention whatever the thing is that's in my mind that creates attention was completely cutting down at that point. And all I had was awareness of, you know, just sort of these free thoughts and it's, it's, it, there was, there was just no ability to have any attention whatsoever. And so that really sort of highlighted for me that there is a, like a, physiological you know evolve difference between the two things that you know I could see the one physically shutting down as a result of a physical stress so so that was kind of an interesting interesting thing for me so yeah. anyways
0: yeah Truladas actually talked about that a little bit on his Q&A if you want to check it out yesterday oh, okay yeah just about the physiology So, um, it sounds like you kind of your, your exercise attitude is a bit like mine. Um, I'm wondering if, if like, I, I at some point kind of decided that I might be, it might be good to, to work on that. Um, I don't know if you would agree with this, but, um, my tendency, so my, my big exercise thing is getting on bicycles and going right. It's not, it's not weightlifting, but, but it's got, it's got similar qualities. You know, you're, you're lifting your body weight up a mountain or something like that. And I have this really obnoxious tendency that whenever I get on the bike, I always have to go at my absolute maximum. Like I can't, I can't just have a nice bike ride. It's always like, you know, okay, am I going as fast as I can? No. Well, I mean, it's it's not even a thought process, right? It's just happening. It's just like, it's like Martin was saying is like there's some something deep inside of me that's saying, you know, okay, go a little faster, go a little faster. Are you going fast enough? And, um, you know, I, I've concluded like it actually is problematic because it means I can't go on bike rides in the winter because if you, if you, if you do that in the winter, then you know, you're gasping for breath and it's just like totally messing up your lungs. And when you get back, you're just like coughing up your lungs and it's horrible. So, um, So last winter we had a pretty open winter here. We didn't have a lot of snow on the ground and I would just go out on bike rides when it was below freezing and try to, uh, have a nice enjoyable bike ride where I didn't shred my lungs. And I'm just wondering if like, you know, there's a related practice for you to do in there because it's like, I mean, I'm not, you know, like it's, it's your, it's your practice. If you want to do deadlifts until you, until you almost pass out, that's, that's, that's your shtick. But, but, I, I do wonder, like, like, why the hell are you doing that? Like, why would you want to you push yourself so hard that you almost pass out? Like, what's going on there? Um, you know, maybe nothing. Maybe it's nothing to think about at all. But, but I, I feel like, you know, for me, there's, there's definitely, like, some kind of piece of conditioning to work on. That's, that's why I can't get on a bicycle and just have a nice, gentle bike ride or, you know, a brisk but not insanely brisk bike ride. Um, so I'm just putting that out there, something to think about.
5: Yeah, no, it's an interesting point. Um, You know, yeah, it's conditioning. Everything is conditioning. Yeah. I'm becoming more and more convinced of that. And the other thought kind of occurred to me a while ago that, you know, all these thoughts just, you know, they come up and some are good, some are bad, some are conditioned by this, some by that. And all I really need to do is just, cultivate the thoughts that serve me in some positive direction and ignore the thoughts that don't serve me. And, uh, so far lifting serves me pretty well. So, uh, but, uh, but you know, yeah, it's, it's certainly conditioning, Mm -hmm. and you know, kind of getting back to, uh, uh, what I think it was Martin was saying that, um, seeing these thoughts arise that sort of weren't his i i have had that experience too in the gym where i've gone down you know set up under under the you know bench to do a set of bench press and it's like the set just sort of executes itself and i'm just watching it and i'm going cool, it looks like I really like bench pressing. (laughs) It's like, cool, I'm really, you know, I'm really getting into this one. I'm really pushing max effort, you know. This is kind of really neat. Uh, You know, it doesn't happen every time, but it's like, you know, it's like, cool, there's this unconscious part of me that really knows how to do this well. That's, That's neat. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's all conditioning. You can condition yourself. You get conditioned by other people, other stuff, and yeah. I agree.
0: By the way, on the topic of conditioning, um, I don't know if you guys have any interest in this, but um, Jeffrey Martin, who the guy who does the finder's course, also has a, a course for people who've had insight experiences called the Explorer's Course. Um, and I, I suspect there are several people on the call here who could benefit from that course. He's starting one up in January. So I just mentioned it in case you're interested. But... It's, uh, you know, like, like what you were just talking about, Ken, sounds like a classic example of something that, that uh, you know, Jeffrey goes into quite a bit of detail about conditioning in the Explorers course, and I found it pretty useful, like, like what it is and, and how to identify your conditioning, how to identify the conditioning that's, that, that you want to keep versus the conditioning that, that's problematic, uh, how to find your blind spots, like the things that you're just not seeing at all. Uh, it's a pretty good course.
2: um that yeah where can i find info about this course
0: uh hang on a sec that
3: didn't
0: work out very well um let me try again I I think I have a link to it um, in my email. Let's see. Let
5: me see.
0: Hmm. Okay. So uh, here's the link. Um, this is
5: uh,
0: this is an FC alum link, so I'm not sure that all the information there is is accurate. But um, uh, and and by the way, I I'm specifically recommending Explorer's course. The link that I sent you also has a link to the advanced course, which I don't particularly recommend. I mean, if you are know, all gung-ho about all things, Jeffrey, you might want to check it out, but otherwise I don't think it's um some
1: people liked it. Yeah,
0: some people liked it. I, I found it a little a little uh well, yeah. <laughs> I mean it, it was definitely interesting. I don't regret doing it. You got to do it for free. Yeah. <laughs> Andrea points out that I got to do it for free. So anyway, um not to not to digress too far on that, but uh it's an interesting thing. Um, so does anybody else want to say anything or ask any questions or say a poll? Um,
2: well, uh, I'd like to say something, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, so last time we talked about the uh, dreaming and stuff. Yep. Um, and uh, after that, uh, a couple of days later, I picked up a book on lucid dreaming. Uh, exploring the world of lucid dreams, um, is it called? And um, I still have this very vivid dreams, and I had a lucid dream again. Now I'm training it a little bit. Uh, this time, this time, becoming aware of my dream, which was really cool. Um, yeah, it was really great actually. <laughs> I was floating around, playing with puppies, and uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was awesome. Um, yeah, um, I still do sometimes have weird things. Um, for example, uh, sometimes I just keep being aware when I try to fall asleep when nothing is on my mind. So I'm actually then meditating in bed and meditating on the uh, relaxation, and um, yeah, there are a lot of sensations, um, uh, but uh i can't fall asleep i just am aware of 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 like my body and a lot of sensations coming up uh, i think like a couple of sensations are like from the state of being awake to falling asleep if know Hypno- something Hippagosia. yeah that kind of stuff um oh well, sometimes that happens now as well mm-hmm. um which is yeah. Interesting, but um, yeah, that that's also happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, practice is, is going uh, okay. Uh, but there's a lot of um, well, I, I, I just always am um, between stage six and eight. It's always like fluctuating a lot. Um, I don't know if that's weird or anything, but like the one day I'm like in stage six all the time. And then the next day I'm in stage eight and it's, yeah, it's always random, um, where I seem to be and just like practicing. See if, uh, yeah, just, uh, you keep a journal. uh, a meditation journal. Yeah. Uh, no, I do not actually.
0: You might want to try that. Um, it might help you to identify whatever, whatever is different between sets
2: okay okay i'll try that cool um and yesterday i had um an experience of uh the first formless jana um again um which was uh yeah it was great um just this empty space again or this boundless space um yeah i think uh, that's oh, yeah, and I, I found um, this book uh, by Daniel Ingram Mastering the Core Teaching of the Buddha. Um, are you familiar with that?
0: Uh, I'm familiar with it in a general sense. I haven't read it all the way through. I suspect that there are folks here who have
2: because it seems a bit different with like um, the the map of progress, but I'm not sure. Yeah that's true. Um,
0: yeah. So, so, uh, MCTV has a pretty, a pretty definite map of progress that is, uh, um, that a lot of people experience using, using the progress of insight practices. Um, but, um, Dasa would not agree with his, with his, uh, that his, that his explanation of how insight happens is definitive. Like, like it can happen that way and it does happen that way for a lot of people. But, but you know, not for everybody. Like we were discussing earlier, uh, you know, different people have different experiences of insight. Uh, Nick Grabovac is really into using the progress of insight after you get to stage seven in TMI. He says he's had really uh, good experiences doing that. Um, so you know, and uh, uh, POI is a little bit risky if you're if you're not in stage seven, but but since you're since you're you know having the sort of stage six, stage seven experiences, it would probably be fine for you to try those practices if you think they're interesting. Um, okay.
5: yeah. You
0: know, I suspect Jean-Michel can tell you quite a bit about what happens if you do those practices. <laughs> um Yeah, what what
4: I wanted to say is that you say that you go between stage six and stage eight. But I think that's completely normal. It's uh, it's a little bit hard when you just reach stage eight, when you've had some glimpses of stage eight, because it's a really different practice. Stage eight is uh, doing some exercises. It's basically doing everything you've learned from stage two to six, but in reverse, doing them on purpose and watching, watching them, watching what happens, watching how the things that were happening to you are now happening on their own. This is connected to what I was saying before is trying to understand how these things happen. This is the inside practices. And uh, I think it's and I I could never have single pointed attention the second I sit and then decide now I'm gonna stop inside practices. So I think it's uh, completely normal to start your seats at your seats at stage six. And then after a few after some time, you get effortlessness. And after some times where you feel like this is stabilized, I, I can, I can let it go for, for maybe 10 minutes and do some insight practices. Then you do insight practices. And if you, if you trip and try to work on the effortlessness again.
2: Right. Yeah, that's exactly how it feels. Like sometimes even, it feels like I can do it for like 10, 10 minutes effortlessness. And when it goes great, it, it has been like a whole set even. Um, so yeah, it's just so yeah different, but all right, it's cool.
4: And uh, I wouldn't even worry about trying to get to the inside practice anyway. Just uh, just try to go where it takes you. Sometimes uh, sometimes some things happen that really try to drag me out of the where I was going to go. Like maybe um, I'm falling into some experiences that I've that I haven't had before, but are really with the a, a not so much disturbances, like not so much distractions. So it's also interesting. But then I'm like, oh, but wait, I was supposed to to do some insight practices. Oh, but maybe I can do that later. <laughs> so it's I think it's also okay sometimes to to decide that you can that the boat takes you where it takes you. not necessarily be too
6: strict.
2: Yeah. Um, and also, um, uh, so sometimes when I meditate, you have pity during the meditation, but uh, when the session is over, I sometimes experience pity for like half an hour, or an hour afterwards as well, which is, a very nice pity. So it's very like very nice energy currents throughout the body for like a longer period after the meditation. What what kind of pity is that? Is it like a higher grade pity or is it something else than pity? Or I also was wondering
6: that.
4: Well, you can find the answer in the book. I'm just saying you can you can read it for yourself. But what I would say is does it really matter? I'm not sure it's not so important to know exactly what grade of PD it is, because uh, by doing this, by trying to put everything in boxes, Mm -hmm. then you will end up like uh, mastering the core teaching of the Buddha, writing a book about how everything goes in every little box. (laughs) Mm. And then it becomes very hard to practice. (laughs) Then you will have uh, jenna 3.1.1.2 if anyone has read the book then they know what i mean which i think (laughs) is true i I think it's it's true you can experience these things but in a certain extent it might not be useful for for everyone it's entertaining but what's useful is just actually the diligence stuff to sit down, to have memorized uh, the practice and just to do it. Not much more. That's what, I think that's what's so nice about the mind illuminated and that it's enough. I feel like it's
0: enough. I, I get those, those pity sensations off the cushion too. And, and I have to say that my reaction to them is, Oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's never really, you know, like there's, I suppose it could be an indication of something good, but I've never really seen a correlation. So for me, it's just like, Oh, that that was nice. Like when a cat comes up and rubs against you. Something you could do also uh,
4: is usually when the I mean, usually, I in my experience, when PT arises physically, it can also arise mentally in parallel and uh, it's easy to be so absorbed into putting your attention on the physical sensations that you don't realize that there is also a mental component to to this excitement and you can try to switch your attention from the physical sensations to the mental excitement that can be a new a new side of the practice cool yeah you get you can actually be absorbed in the mental excitement which can which is which if you get absorbed into it can almost feel like anxiety but what anxiety would be if it was positive
2: okay yeah I'll try that That uh, seems that uh, seems very interesting to do when it comes up again this strong or just in general maybe um, yeah, I'll try that
0: Okay, well, uh, we're we're getting towards the end here. John and Ben haven't said anything much. Do you guys have anything you want to bring to the table?
6: Nope, I'm just lurking for this morning. But
0: All right. thanks. <laughs> sure.
1: Not not much to add. I mean, I, I again, I you know always get a lot out of these, and I'm but practice is going well and. Appreciate
0: your asking. Cool. All right. Well, uh, if anybody has any last uh, last words, now is the time to bring them up. Sounds like no. All right. Well, thanks. Quick, quick, I have
6: a quick question for you guys. Sure. If, uh, yeah. I'm probably going to post this on the forum, but it was just um, when you have dullness and the first antidote. Um, that I also recommends is the uh, taking a really deep breath, holding it for a second, blowing it out through pursed lips. Um, I find that that makes me kind of, I don't know if it's lightheaded, but then I can't even really tell if the dullness is still there anymore. So I hardly ever use that one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if people f- notice that as well. It, maybe I'm not doing it right. Uh, Cause it seems like it's just, it's not, it's not helping because it's making me, confused as to if I'm having dullness still or I'm getting lightheaded and it's all going together. So um, do you guys generally use that? Do you kind of skip it because maybe it's doesn't work so well? Or... I don't like to use that one either. <laughs> <laughs> for whatever that's worth. <laughs> yeah, maybe if it's for the same reason uh, just because of if, if you feel lightheaded at all then you can't really tell if it's dullness or maybe I'm just not able to notice the difference right now.
0: Well, so, I mean, dullness has effects, right? I'm sorry, what? Dullness has effects, right? Um,
6: yeah. Yeah, yes. so
0: you can observe the effects of dullness, even if you can't really tell whether you actually have dullness from the feeling of dullness itself.
6: Yeah, but uh, doing the first antidote, I, I don't know. If it kind of brings some kind of lightheadedness or something. that sense. Sure. Yeah. It yeah. Like it's a little bit
0: of a hypoxia, but, um, what happens, um, you know, what happens to your attention? Like, is your attention then able to be more on the breath? Do you experience more detail after you've done this or is it the same or is it less, or are you not able to tell whether it's the same or less because you're too lightheaded?
6: I think I'll have to observe it again and get back to you on that.
0: <laughs> All right. Yeah. One of the things, sorry.
6: No, go ahead. Uh, uh,
0: so uh, one of one of the, the teacher trainees in my cohort is um, a yoga instructor, actually two of them are, but, but one of them in particular has mentioned that she uses Kapalabhati that way, uh, which is a yoga practice where you basically do a bunch of, of uh, uh, very short breaths with strong exhales um, and, and it really oxygenates the brain. Um, and then, you know, that can, that can dispel dullness. Um, I mean, my personal experience with dullness and, and, you know, this is another thing to explore. I, I would personally try all of the, all of the antidotes that the Chula Dasa mentions and just see what, what effect you get out of them and do, do the best you can to observe, you know, what effect it has on your experience of the clarity of the breath and, you know, the basic markers of like, do you have dullness? Um, but the other thing is, um, a lot of times dullness is avoidance. And so, um, it can be helpful to, to get curious about what it is that's being avoided and it'll be something different you know, over time. It's not always the same thing, but, but it's very common. There are a lot of things that your mind is going to try to avoid as you deepen into your meditation practice. And, um, and dullness is one way to avoid them. Distraction is another. So like, like, there's it's no accident that we have these, these meditation obstacles. Um, I think it's K-A-P-A-L-L-A. And Bati sounds right. I don't know. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me just Google it. But anyway, yeah. So, so, so try to observe like what's going on in your mind um, when dullness arises. And uh, you may discover that, uh, that uh, you can see things. Have you
4: tried to get a really cold shower?
0: (laughs) I
6: tried the ice face in the ice water, but um
4: I mean the really cold water. Just go under and put it. Really
0: cold face in the ice water, you need to you need to like hyperventilate a little bit, hold your breath, put your face in the water, leave it there for a long enough like probably 10 or 15 seconds and then that that triggers the dive response
6: I, I don't know if i've done it for 10 or 15 seconds i realized that it was there was really uncomfortable <laughs> yes <laughs> but i see what you're saying
1: <laughs> well it doesn't I, have to be
0: like you shouldn't like fill the pot with ice and then have a little water in it you just want it to be cold you don't want it to be yeah. like really cold
6: no i mean it was just the the sensation is uh kind of uh a little f- freaking out. Maybe that's what you were supposed to do. Um, yeah. But the way I meditate is is in kind of like a it's a sunroom right now. It's pretty cold because of winter, so I haven't been doing that because I didn't want to get too cold. Uh, yeah, you don't want to get so,
0: hypothermia while you're meditating.
6: Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, uh, I I use it a few times, but um, and maybe the cold shower, just a complete cold shower, and then kind of drying off. I don't know if uh, you mean like cold shower. Go about your regular business and to get ready for the meditation or just shower and then run over and meditate right away.
4: It's up to you. What you can do that's really interesting when you do cold shower is pay attention to how aversion is arising before you touch the water. If you have had previous experiences with cold shower, if it's the first time, then maybe you won't have it. But if it's the (laughs) second time you will probably have it.
3: I'm getting a very
0: strong at the very beginning.
3: I'm getting a version just hearing you talk about cold showers.
0: <laughs> uh, well, you you could also do the sort of the Scandinavian tradition of of uh, having a nice hot um, sauna, and then jumping into the cold water. Like like you have to you have to break a hole in the ice, and then you jump into the cold water, and then you then you get back out, and then you then you meditate. Not they have some ice around. yeah well, you need you need you need like some ocean that's frozen over, which is not something everybody has access to unfortunately Yeah. All right Well, this has been fun. Thanks for coming, and uh, we will talk again. Thanks Thank
2: Thanks, Seth. Thanks, so. Paul.